This is Craig Hosteller, and you're listening to The Black Sheep Experience. Craig Hostetler, and I am coming to you from the underground. Welcome to the Black Sheep Experience. Uh, This is episode number two, and it is called Hellfire and Hymnals. Thank you so much for checking in. Man, this has been a great week. So last week I debuted the podcast, and I was very excited about that. And then this week I was interviewed by the great John Scott uh, from the Holy Heretics podcast. And man, I have to tell you, I was super excited about that. Um, Actually, I hate when people use the word super that way, but I was really excited about that, man. I have been listening to that podcast since day one. If you've never checked out the Holy Heretics podcast, you got to go check that out. They have a ton of great interviews on there, a ton of great content. And uh, I love that podcast. And I have always, uh, well, not haven't always, but since the podcast started, I have dreamed uh, that somehow I would end up on there. And uh, this week, man, that dream came true. And uh, yeah, wow, man, I, I feel like I'm big time right now. So, uh, John, thanks so much. John, Scott, and I have become pretty good friends the last few months. And uh, just a great dude. In fact, um, uh, with a great podcast, and John uh, is going to be on this podcast soon. John, you promised I'm going to hold you to it, man. And so John is going to be on this podcast uh, very soon. And uh, the uh, the the Holy Heretics episode that. Uh, that I'm on is supposed to come out this week. So if you'll stay connected with us on social media, we can let you know uh, about that episode, about upcoming episodes on the Black Sheep Experience as well. Uh, By the way, if you haven't connected the Black Sheep Experience on Facebook, the Black Sheep Experience on Instagram, the Black Sheep Experience on Twitter, come and, uh, to quote a scripture, come and follow me, (laughs) right? Um... Man, we'd really appreciate it. You know, we are brand new podcasts. This is only episode number two. And so many podcasts just fall through the cracks. I could really use your help by connecting with us on one of those three or all three of those social media outlets. Uh, and then share us on your Facebook, share us on your Instagram, Twitter, that kind of thing. It's huge. It really makes a big deal. And then additionally, subscribing and rating on uh, iTunes or Google Play, those things are huge. Um, uh, and and I'd, man, I'd, I would seriously um, really appreciate that. So anyway, uh, if this is your first time, welcome. Thank you so much. If you're back again uh, from the first episode, welcome back. And uh, so today I want to talk to you about hellfire and hymnals. So here's the scoop. I've spent most of my life in the Christian setting, uh, in the Christian culture. Now, I grew up in a somewhat a liberal household. My parents were uh, kind of in between the secular and the church thing. Um, so we went to church, but it was it was pretty much hit and miss. My dad wasn't really much of a believer. In fact, um, later years in his life, he kind of became an, an atheist. But I do remember being very young, and um, we had a Bible laying around the house, and I picked that Bible up, and it had a commentary in it. You know, 
uh, flopped that thing open like you do and just read wherever it landed. And lo and behold, it was a passage about hell. I read that passage and then I read the commentary and oh my God, man, I was, I was horrified. I was scared. I was upset. I was, uh, I was a young, kind of a young kid. I think I even cried. Uh, man, I did not want to go to hell, dude. Um, I even talked to my dad about it, who assured me that I wasn't going to burn forever in some lake of fire. But, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't fully convinced. And so I inquired um, with a friend whose parents were very religious, and I started going to church with them. And to be honest with you, the whole thing was confusing to me. So we would sing all these songs uh, out of the hymnal, right? Just as I am... Uh, in the garden, also known as He Walks With Me, Amazing Grace. So we would sing these songs from the, uh, we'd sing these hymns, I guess, from the hymnal about love and grace and God's devotion to us. And then the sermon. And this dude uh, was a real hellfire and brimstone kind of guy. And the fire and the ice of it all, the incredible contrast between the words in the hymnal and the words of the preacher, to me, as a young man, they were kind of mind-boggling. There was love and trust and grace in the hymnal, and then there was pain and hellfire and suffering in the mouth of this preacher. Uh, And years later, uh, in high school, I went to church with some friends, and um, it was the same dichotomy, these songs of grace and love, and then the preacher just pounding the pulpit about the God who is going to throw people in hell, and the equation, the, the pattern continued. And to be honest, I found it unbelievable. The two, to me, they didn't mix well, right? The hellfire and the hymnals. Um... Because hell, actually, you know, that pattern, uh, years later as I became ordained, as I became a pastor and a preacher, it's the same thing, right? Uh, Except we didn't have hymnals. We were doing praise and worship type stuff, right? But the songs were the same, um, you know, songs about grace, songs about love, songs about mercy. And then I'd get up there and just preach hell, man. I mean... I'd preach about hell, like hell, and you know, I'd go for it. And uh, now years later, I dropped that. You know, the, the, the later years uh, of my pastorate, I stopped talking about it altogether. And um, my sermons uh, were, were basically grace and, and love and, and all those kinds of things. But um, hell, for me, is a difficult subject. If you think about the idea, it's, it's really bad, right? The idea here is eternal pain, eternal suffering forever, without end, without ceasing. Eternal pain, eternal torment, never-ending burning. John Stott uh, is this Anglican priest, and he's the author of several books. He writes um, this about the idea of people burning in eternal conscious torment. And this is a quote. I find the concept intolerable. And I do not understand how people can live with it without either cauterizing their feelings or cracking under the strain. You know, for some of us, um, we can almost tolerate the idea because of horrible lives lived. People like Stalin or Mussolini or Hitler, many of us are able to stomach their suffering, right or wrong, Our human emotions, our lack of imagination, they enable us to allow people of such demented and horrific atrocities 
uh, we're okay with them burning forever and ever, right? We're, 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 we're okay with that. Um, however, what about the wonderfully loving older woman who never figured the God equation out? Does she deserve the same torment? Or how about the man who grew up under horribly abusive yet very religious parents? Um, the scar on his mind, his emotions, they never allowed him to find God. That guy, he still burns forever, right? What about the sweet woman? Maybe she's, um, maybe she's a little rough around the edges, right? She does some alternative religious things, reads tarot cards, uh, meditates, right? Uh, uses crystals, things like that. She's kind, she's sweet, she's loving, but she has some alternative ideas. When her time comes, she goes to hell. She burns, she's tormented, she suffers in an unfathomable uh, way. And, uh, and you're good with that, right? You're cool with that. Uh, now, I'm not begging a, a response in my favor because I haven't even told you what my favor is. I haven't told you what my views on hell are yet. But I'm asking you, have you considered this idea fully? Are you fully in favor of it? Even if you're one of these guys, right, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Fine. But do you in your heart, because I preach the same thing, do you in your heart, and I, and I asked a pastor this earlier this week, and he stumbled and stammered over this. Uh, do you think the crime fits the punishment? Do you have complete buy-in on the issue? And I'm not claiming a side here, but I do think there are things about this that don't make sense. Um, does it trouble you at all? So... So many, the idea of original sin is universal, right? Meaning that it affects everyone everywhere. All evangelicals would agree that sin was passed from Adam to all mankind. But righteousness and redemption, the righteousness and redemption of Jesus, it doesn't hold the same power. Meaning through Adam all have sinned, but through Jesus only a few are righteous. Does it trouble you at all that the actions of Adam and his tree, you know, which brought sin to all mankind, were much more powerful, much more prominent, had much further reaching effects, without question, than the act of Jesus Christ and his cross? Um, you have to agree, right, with the numbers alone, uh, that Adam wins without debate. In fact, we would have to agree that what happened in the Garden of Eden was a much more powerful act. It completely dwarfs what Jesus did on the cross. Again, billions and billions will burn because of what Adam did. And very few will make it to heaven because of what Jesus did. So, Adam's act is more prominent. It's much more powerful. Does Jesus uh, undo all the damage of Adam, of sin? Does he just undo some of the damage? Where sin abounds, does grace abound all the more? Or does it just abound a little bit in a very conservative and minuscule way? Now, I can hear what some of you are saying already. Oh, man, this dude, this guy is a universalist. And I got to tell you, man, that's not true. I am not. But I don't have buy-in. I'm an individual 
and I have every intention of voicing my contemplations without anyone's consent. I don't want your labels, uh, and I don't want uh, to be cast out. But you know, for years I felt like I had to be silent on this issue. For years I felt like I had to be silent about uh, my my contemplations on hell and my lack of buy-in with it, and I'm not willing to do that anymore. And I think God's okay with the questions, even if you're not. You know, recently I spoke at Audio Feed. Now, Audio Feed is this, if you're not familiar with it, it's this really cool festival in Champaign, Illinois. And uh, I think audiofeedfestival.com is um, is the, the website. You should check it out. It, it is this really, it's a really cool festival. But anyway, I have a very good friend of mine, Bob Beeman. I've known the guy for like 30 years and a uh, great guy. Got a really cool ministry called Sanctuary International. So they have a t- audio feed and uh, they asked me if I would uh, speak there and I did I was very honored to do that but uh, I voiced the same concerns there I told them I have a problem with the contemporary Christian rendition of hell the contemporary Christian love and passion for people burning in hell I have a problem believing in it especially the way we teach it. I was honest and upfront, and I still feel that way. I don't have buy-in. Does it mean that I don't believe in the Bible? No. Does it mean that I want to cherry-pick scriptures? Well, I think that we all do that, (laughs) personally. But no, that's not what I'm trying to do either. Does it mean that I want to lose friends over the issue? No, but I'm willing to. Um, I don't know why we can't have questions, and I don't know why we can't have honesty. There's some interesting things about the idea. Um particularly whenever it comes to biblical literature. You know, one of the things, one of the ways that we prove our ideas and our belief systems are by uh, proof texting, right? And that's where you gather a couple of scriptures and you build your theology based on that. It's the most common way of proving your view, but it's also the worst. Uh, The best way is to take the meta-narrative. Now, if you're not familiar with this, it is going back and saying, look, I realize that the Bible, all of these books were letters, and these letters weren't subdivided by chapters and verses, but instead, there was an entire theme and tone to the letter. The lines built an idea and a theology, for lack of a better word, and you would take the whole story, the overarching intention of the text, and you would allow the Bible to interpret itself in light of itself. For instance, um, there's a really great passage, right? Uh, Colossians chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In Him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers and authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things are held together, and He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in him everything he might have the supremacy, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, this creates an interesting dialogue, I think. Jesus is before all things, before sin, before Adam, before Eve, before the fall, before redemption. Christ always was, and he holds all things together. He has supremacy 
over all things. He reconciles all things, the Bible says, interestingly enough, all things in heaven and all things on earth. He reconciles them through the cross. So you see, there's this narrative here throughout the entire New Testament that Jesus overcomes the separation uh, and sin caused by the fall. Uh, and he reconciles things to himself through the cross. Um, there's something interesting about Jesus outside of the scripture uh, that brings light to who he is. Um, in the days of Jesus, when he walked the earth, the, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, they were torn between two dominant traditions present. Right? And one of those was the house of Shema and his teachings, which were very rigid, conservative. They emphasized adherence to the letter of, uh, of religious law right? The ethical principles, adherence to very detailed, highly legalistic rules. And then there was the house of Hillel. Now, Hillel um, was much more liberal. He emphasized open-heartedness, compassion, love. Um, his tradition was much more concerned with having a right heart and doing the right thing and loving God above adherence to the letter and the rules, it was a people are more important than theology-based um, view, right? Now, interestingly, Jesus on almost every single issue except for marriage sides with Hillel. His ethics are no different. Uh, for example, there's a story, and these words are true, uh, attributed to Hillel, who is long before Christ, and someone says to him, uh, if God is so simple, then tell us the whole truth about God was standing on one foot. And Hillel accepts the challenge and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and spirit, and love your neighbor. Everything else is just a conversation. Now, you've probably heard that before, right? Because Jesus says the exact same thing. When they ask him, uh, what's the most important commandment? Remember his words, right? He echoes this view whenever he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says something powerful whenever he says, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two things. And this is a stunning statement, because Jesus is saying, listen, all these words, all these laws, all this legislation, all these rules, all this stuff that you've got going on, all this adherence uh, can be summed up in two statements. One, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And two, love your neighbor. Jesus places, in my opinion, this powerful emphasis on compassion he places this powerful emphasis on open-heartedness, on grace, on loving kindness, on forgiveness that knows no bounds, right? Jesus is the one that teaches this unfathomable, unending forgiveness um, uh, I, I, without condition, right? Without end. Well, uh, within an innumerable way. Well, we might say 70 times 7, but his intention there, again, you could say, well, the Bible says 70 times 7. That's all I've got to forgive. What Jesus means, the meta narrative is, you forgive in innumerable ways. Uh, and what's interesting to me is this 
Jesus who is full of grace, this Jesus who is full of truth, this Jesus who calls us to never-ending forgiveness, this Jesus who constantly sides with the side of compassion. He sides with grace. He sides with love. He sides with mercy. He reaches out to the lowest positions of his culture, the cast-outs, um, the failures, people like Peter who betrayed him. And he calls out to Peter and accepts and receives him. Even in the betrayal, this, the Bible says, is the image of the invisible God. Which is mind-blowing. When you want to know what God is like, Jesus is the image you look through. And so to me, what this teaches is that everything that we read in the scriptures has to be translated, interpreted through Christ, through Jesus. And so any view or any idea, uh, any passage that doesn't line up with the nature, the practice, and the words of Jesus is misinterpreted. I want you to think about that for a moment. You know, years ago I tried so hard to be a theologian. Years ago I studied like crazy, man. I, I ripped open. You should see the library here in the, in the underground, which is, uh, by the way, that's, uh, that's just my basement. Right? That's what I call it because it, uh, it sounds way better than basement. Uh, here in the underground, I've got all these books that I've ripped through and studied, and I found this out. It all comes back to Jesus, everything. And so every scripture, every passage, in my estimation, in my theology, everything comes back to Jesus. And it has to be interpreted in light of who he was. Because if you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. If you want to know what judgment looks like, you look at Jesus. See, for so many Christians today, the idea of hell is beloved. And I think for some of you, and, and this is going to make some of you upset, for some of you it's because you don't think it's fair. You don't think it's fair that other people... Um, don't sacrifice the same way that you've sacrificed. They aren't giving up the same things that you're giving up. And really, mo a lot of you, and I know I pastored some of you, you're just miserable, man. You love judgment. You love the idea that God is going to pull you in and throw a bunch of people out. And that's not the heart of Christ, not to me. In my estimation, God is love. If you remember earlier when we talked about John Stott, the uh, English Anglican priest, who writes about the idea of people burning in eternal conscious torment, and he says, I don't know how people live with this without cauterizing their feelings or cracking under the strain. These words resonate because he's right. There is no greater travesty than you and I doing nothing in the light of billions of people burning forever. And equally, there's no greater travesty than us not loving those people. And this is the division that I see so often, is that there's just such a lack of love. And there is this Shema approach 
to God, where it's all about the, the rules, it's all about the legislation, it's all about the law, it's all about doing things right, it's all about living the way that I live and interpreting Scripture the way that I interpret Scripture. You know, it's funny because uh, as a pastor, towards the, uh, the second half, at least, of my ministry, and I was in pastoral ministry for a few decades, right, towards this, or, or a couple anyway, um, the more liberty I gave to Scripture, the more honest I was about my feelings, about all kinds of things, uh, the less I had qu- uh, answers and the more I had questions. And you're going to find that to be true this podcast. Uh, for, for 20 years, I had all the answers, uh, supposedly. It wasn't until I started really maturing that I realized I don't have any answers, but I have mostly questions. When I started proposing those questions, when I started asking those questions, it was then that rejection really began to become an issue. Whenever I stopped touting the line that people wanted to hear, it was then that rejection started to flow into my life. And when I became more loving, when I became more accepting, when I became less tolerant of the idea of they deserve to go to hell, that's when I started to become the cast out. And uh, I think I'm okay with that. I really want to encourage you, man, with this issue. And again, believe me, I'm very undecided. I'm offering ideas to you. And in the future, on future podcasts, we'll talk about this and we'll have people on. We'll let them talk about this among many, many other ideas. But one of the things about the Black Sheep experience is to say, uh, I have my own thoughts. I have my own ideas. And in lieu of answers, I have my own questions. And those questions will resonate loud and, uh, and boldly. Um, so today, in the absence of answers, I present you with questions. Are you okay with the idea? Are you okay with the concept? Or do you also have questions? And have some of those questions caused a uh, friction in your relationship with God? And that's where I think a lot of people are. They have all these questions, and so they finally just say, forget it. I'm leaving this whole thing. I can't live with the idea of this angry, frustrated, vindictive God any longer. But I'm telling you, I think that there is another option. And that is the option of, I believe in the compassion and the heart of Jesus. And I'm going to begin to interpret all and translate all uh, of my questions in light of who he is. And where I don't have answers, let the questions remain. All right, man, I am done for this week. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for being here. Again, connect with me. I want to hear from you on Twitter. I want to hear from you on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, Share us on your social media. Let us know what you think. If you love the podcast, let me know that. If you think it sucks, let me know that. I want to hear from you. God bless you, man. Have a wonderful day. Rest of your week. Done.